Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots yearning to breathe free again, yearning for freedom and yearning to escape this bioweapon being foisted upon us. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for Wednesday of the 19th of January. And folks, I am pissed. I am really fit to be tied today. Um, I've been on the phone for the last couple hours, so I'm a little bit out of the news here uh, late Wednesday morning. And I've been on the phone with all sorts of people. It's, it's, it's damn emotionally draining, I'm just going to tell you. All vaccinated people, by the way, that are in trouble that they're being lied to, that their primary care physicians do nothing for them, that we've set up a testing regime that's insane, and yet it's all designed to control and quarantine, not to have early detection for early treatment. Doctors have gone mad. They're engaging in genocide. But it's emblematic of a broader problem. This has allowed humans to act like Nazis, where facts don't matter, compassion doesn't matter, nothing matters anymore. And by the way, if you look at my pinned tweet on Twitter, I have the new data I reported last week from Scotland. Again, the vaccinated have higher hospitalization and case rates than unvaccinated. And then it's even worse than their data suggests because they're counting you know, the first 21 days of the shot when they all get the uh, virus um, is unvaccinated. And still, the case rates are higher. This is a lie. Everything is a lie. And it's disgusting. I have so many stories I can get into. We are going to have a special guest on today, Dr. Brian Tyson. And that might make you even more mad because you're going to see what could have been. What could have been a man who not only treated 7,000 people, but treated them in person. In person. Um, it, it, It is the biggest story of our lifetime. It is probably the biggest story in the history of the country. It just pisses me off. The, the, the people that, that are in kidney failure, um, that the shot had the shots, they never worked for them, and they didn't get proper treatment when it mattered, and then they want to kill them in the hospitals. Man, I don't know where to begin. But on a positive note, today's sponsor is Constitutional Defense Course from Patriot Academy. Uh, a lot of you are new to the show. The last year or so, I've been going on trips with you guys to Front Sight, Nevada, it's a 550-acre complex outside of Las Vegas that trains 50,000 people a year in firearms. You know who you are, you guys that carry, that own guns, but you don't really know how to properly draw from the holster in a defensive situation. It is the most thorough, the funnest course you'll do. We study the Constitution at night with Rick Green. I'll, I uh, speak at the ones I go to. Um, there's a bunch of dates in February, March, and May, I will tell you, it's best to go out in the desert in the late winter. It's beautiful. It's not too hot. Um, 
16 hours of firearms training, eight hours of intellectual training in the classroom. There's a two-day course, the four-day. I recommend the four-day. At this point, I plan to go on Sunday, March 13th, but there's one coming up sooner, um, February 20th. But if you want to meet me on March 13th, it's 90% off if you visit patriotacademy.com slash defense. So look, I mean, these are the best trainee trainers at Frontsight. It's normally 2000 bucks for the four-day course. Um, it's 150 bucks if you do it through um, through Patriot Academy. Again, patriotacademy.com slash defense. If you register today, I'll be at the March 13th one. We could strategize politically together. We could shoot together. It's so much fun. You meet the best people around. Um, obviously, it does cost to for your accommodations and the ammo, but look, make make a trip out of it. So you'll see there's about four or five different dates there coming up in the next few months. Hope to see you there, patriotacademy.com slash defense. I don't know where to start today. Um, I have so much going on. I'm working on a piece on N95s, how they don't work and they're dangerous, and that's the next lie. Um so much going on. I have the Scottish data out. Um, there's all sorts of stories. There's another story I want to apprise you guys of. This is from ABC Houston. COVID patients are crossing state and international lines to get treatment from this Houston doctor. Dr. Verone, he's on six, day six, 671, never taking a break. Treats people with compassion, with everything imaginable. I had someone that I helped go there, um, you know, be transplanted. It's all over the media now. Um, the one guy that's treating with compassion, he had a 4% death rate when all the other ones had 20, 25% death rate. And by the way, that's misleading. It's even better than that. He Because he's the only one treating with science and compassion and all the academic literature that to properly treat inflammation – pulmonary fibrosis, and uh, blood clotting, he gets the hardest cases too. Um, so in other words, a big part of what runs up his death toll to the extent he has it, it are these transfers of people on a ventilator for two months. And it's like, look, you know, at that point, it, it's, it's, it's almost nothing that's, that's going to turn them around. Whereas if, you, if, you get, if he gets you right away, um, when I say right away, I don't even mean outpatient early, but I mean right away in respiratory distress, you know, it's almost certain he's going to turn you around. Um, why d doesn't that guy win a medal? Why aren't we encouraging everyone to look at what he's doing? Because this is genocide. There's a maniacal, genocidal, um, just, just disposition that has taken over people from this blood libel and misinformation and lying that's been put out. I never, my whole life, I never understood Nazi Germany. This wasn't someplace in Africa. This was Western Europe in the 20th century where we had the biggest genocide take place. How does that happen? How do people turn so quickly on fellow man? How was everyone okay with the fact that Jews are untermenschen, subhuman, and you could do whatever you want to them, therefore, like an ant? Nothing matters anymore. And now I understand that even better. Back then you didn't have social media. Now you do. Human beings are created from the amalgamation of the best and worst things of the creation. That's why humans were created after the plant life and all the animals. 
humans could rise to the highest levels. And, and we've seen that in a minority of people here. You know, I, I had this person that Dr. Paul Merrick just helped me get into Dr. Verone in Houston. I didn't know the person before she got in touch with me. Um, Dr. Henson, who referred her to me because thought I might have a way of getting to Dr. Verone, um, he didn't know the person. I didn't know the person. Merrick didn't know the person. Verone didn't know the person. And we all worked together to help someone we don't know, to leave no man behind, to leave no academic research behind, anything that might work. Metformin is, an, is a drug we're really working on. It's a diabetes drug that works for pulmonary fibrosis. Anything that might work to leave no man behind. But then you have on the other side, this genocidal maniac to force people to do stuff to their body that is harmful and doesn't help while ignoring things that do. And what I mean is, my wife was in Aldi's. I wasn't there. I was doing the show yesterday. And my wife is, picture a, a mother, you know, in her 30s, walking shopping with a baby toddler, you know, in the in the shopping cart. Now, I don't mean to brag here, but like my one-year-old, she's almost two. She is, she looks like a model. I mean, it's like this curly blonde hair and her like a clownish doll face. It, in a pre-COVID world, like everyone would be coming over and like smiling at the baby and the baby smiling at people. Mother walking. And, okay. This big man accosts a small woman with a one-year-old baby and starts verbally abusing her over not wearing a mask. When, mind you, he's wearing it, but then he comes up to her and and it's it's a degree all social norms are out the window if someone doesn't do your chosen covid cult ritual they deserve to die you look at a guy like this this is a guy who would put you in an oven i i am not kidding you in the blue states especially if they would put out the word that you could shoot someone that doesn't that you don't know that doesn't get a shot or wear a mask i promise you they would do it and when I say they, I mean tons of people. When half the registered Democrats answered in a poll, they believe in internment of people who don't get the shots. Those are just the ones willing to even say it to a pollster. And by the way, it was like 16% of registered Republicans, too. You could imagine how many others are probably pr quietly okay with it. And then how many others would be indifferent. That's Nazi Germany. We are there. We're not headed to there. We are there. The lack of compassion is unbelievable, and it's flat earth. It would be bad enough if the unvaccinated were getting hosed and not getting proper treatment or whatever, but the vaccinated are not getting proper treatment. I'm dealing with this case. This, this guy with renal fa failure is a kidney transplant patient. Um, is COVID. He had the shots. It's unbelievable what is going on. So I'm working on a lot of things. I'm working on getting people to testify at state legislatures, um, different legislation, how to reinvent the healthcare system to work more like what Molly James is doing and what Henson is doing, what Brian Tyson is doing. How do we even the playing field with the insurance cartel and the Medicare Medicaid cartel in law, in policy, in the tax code? 
to make it easier for people to be a part of an annual concierge that hopefully will will create a network one day that's not just primary care because that's not enough, but that will rope in specialists, rope in urgent care, rope in the creation of some ad hoc hospitals that treat based on the literature and the science and compassion, not greed, money, control, pharma, and, and politics. I, 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 this is ripping me. This is ripping my soul apart. There's nothing right or left about this. There's nothing, anything. This is straight up genocide. It's senseless, senseless hatred, senseless discrimination. You literally have people like Verone and Tyson that have a rec. I mean, Verone is not a perfect record because again, they come often when it's too late. But Tyson, we're going to talk about, he's outpatient or urgent care, so it's earlier on that he gets people almost a hundred percent record. Can you imagine if everyone else were doing that? Eight hundred fifty thousand people dead from COVID. Hundreds of thousands dead from the shots, dead from the lockdowns, the long-term reverberations, just the quality of life. 365% increase in speech therapy referrals uh, referred to this one woman in uh, Palm Beach County who's a speech therapist um, from babies and toddlers that are speech delayed because of the freaking masks that don't work, all pain and no gain. My sister is a speech pathologist as well. She's seeing the same thing. This is satanic, what is going on. And if, this, if it's the last thing I do in life, it's going to be putting an end to it. And if that means maybe I only succeed in one or two states, it's better than zero states. Because right now, I feel like we have to go to Mars and get away from hum- human beings that have become more vicious than lions in a National Geographic movie. Now, speaking of evacuating... One thing you're going to have to do economically is evacuate your money from the insane spending and inflation of the fiat money. Protect your savings now with Birch Gold. Hedge against inflation with gold from Birch because the government is sabotaging the value of the U.S. dollar. It's the only company I trust because um, they have you know endless A-plus ratings from the Better Business Bureau. They have you know long track record. Particularly, they could help convert your eligible IRA or 401k into an IRA-backed real gold. That's peace of mind that you could live with. Text Daniel to the number 989898 to get a no-cost, no-obligation kit teaching you um, how to convert your IRA, your retirement account, into an umbrella of a tax-sheltered account for gold. So do it now. Text the word Daniel to 989898. That's Daniel to 989898. Now, I really have tons of things in my stack of stuff here, um, but I'd rather get to our guest uh, because I know that's what you guys are waiting for. You want to have that life-saving information that you're not going to get from your doctor, um, and, and there still is a lot of COVID around, and we still need to take those precautions. But when you think about taking precautions, when you look at two years' worth of money, coercion, shaming, energy, information, obsession into things that literally didn't work, juxtaposed to what could have happened, what could have been done that actually does work. It's shocking. I mean, I'll just throw some statistics at you. Obviously, we talked about the Scottish data. Higher case rates and now hospitalization rates among the double-vaxxed 
um, they make the triple vax look good because they all get COVID within 14 days of the second dose. So they dump it into the number two pile, but it's the same point. Eventually it goes negative and now increasingly quickly with Omicron. Um, my buddy, Justin Hart, he did a regression, an R-squared correlation with vax rates to case rates in Florida and California and New York and New Jersey. So that's a bunch of counties there. And there's a very strong correlation, 34 32% um, R-squared there with the higher the rate of vaccination, the higher the case rate. It failed. The masks or I mean, that that from day one was a joke, obviously failed. Israel, okay, that is Pfizer's playground. Over 14,000 IDF personnel currently are infected with COVID. Uh, 9,732 personnel in quarantine. That's like a fifth of their standing military. I have to check it up. Um, and, and I don't know their policies exactly. I cannot imagine they don't have a mandate for sure on two, probably three shots on them by now. So if Israel's that strict, certainly in the Israeli military, you got to believe they're all triple jabbed at a minimum, um, if not onto their fourth. Um, and there we go. So that, you know, I wish they were right. Then at least we would have to worry about tyranny, but not COVID. The problem is, you have to worry about COVID, and then they get COVID. That same jerk-off doctor that told them to get the shots ignored the risks. Often they had problems with the shots, and they're not going to be there for COVID. They're not going to be there for the long-term original antigenic sin and ADE. Then when you look at a guy like Brian Tyson, you know, in many respects, I wish he didn't exist. I, I, I wish this didn't exist because it's just too painful. He, he just came out with a book, and I want you guys to go to Amazon, wherever you get books, Overcoming the COVID-19 Darkness, How Two Doctors Successfully Treated 7,000 Patients. Along with Dr. George Fareed, Dr. Tyson treated people at his All-Valley Urgent Care in El Centro, California. He treated 7,000 people. And the thing about him is we've had a lot of great doctors that did a lot of telehealth, and, and it's better than nothing. They saved a lot of lives. He treated them in the flesh, where you put the stethoscope on the person, you do the chest x-ray, you see exactly what needs to be done. And he's here today to talk about some of the results of what he's done, what he's seen. And it's going to be empowerative, empowering and informative, but it's also going to make you mad because we're going to imagine what could have been done. Dr. Tyson, thanks for listening to my rant and thanks for joining me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So I want to start off with if you could just talk about your you, – you posted a study. Um, so you tried to do a formal study with the scientific method of about 4,000 of your patients and juxtapose the hospitalization and mortality rate of – the 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 county in El Centro where you are to your patient, which you know four thousand is a nice sample size. Could you talk about your results? Yeah. So initially we we were looking at it, and you know we were doing data collection just because you know when we first started treating people and testing people, we didn't really have the tools, so we didn't know what we were we were uh, looking at. We didn't really know what to expect from the results. So I wanted to kind of, you know, my, my uh, intuition was, you know, well, let's start collecting some data and let's see what happens. Um, you know, what happened was we got about 1,700 patients in and we noticed that none of our patients had passed away, even though the hospital 
were showing overwhelming, uh, you know, hospitalization rates, ICU and death rates. When we compared after, you know, collecting about uh, almost 4,000 patients, we found that the Imperial County, their uh, mortality rate was about 3.6% of all patients who had COVID. Uh, that was through the, the public health numbers. Uh, of that population, 3.6% of them passed away in the hospitals. Um, when we looked at our data in comparison, we only had a 0.06, I believe, percent uh, mortality rate, which I think we had one we had one death at that point um, with somebody who had been treated uh, over seven days. When we looked at anyone who got treated before seven days, we're still uh, now well over 8,000, almost 9,000 patients, um, and we still have not seen a single mortality uh, for those who started with early treatment before day seven. Wait, a single mortality? You're telling me, you're looking me in the eye, Dr. Tyson, and you're telling me that even with the beast, Delta, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, if it's ADE, if it's vaccine-mediated viral enhancement like Gert Vandenbosch warned about, or if it just was naturally going to be worse, it clearly was worse when Delta hit. You're saying even with that wave, anyone who came before day seven, you have not lost them. That's correct. That's correct. Because, again, we're, we're, we're looking at the science of what we see. And if you see inflammation, we treat inflammation. You know, we prevent blood clotting by giving aspirin or pixaban. Uh, we treat secondary pneumonias and prevent secondary pneumonias by using antibiotics. Um, we're using dexamethasone. We're using nebulized budesonide, which the hospitals aren't allowed to use because it's a nebulized and you can create droplets and they're afraid of spreading it to everybody who already basically has it on a COVID ward. No, stop it. Absolute no sense. No, no, wait, 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 uh, wait. Sorry to interrupt. Wait, I didn't know that. I learned something new here. Wait a minute. So budesonide, I'm, I'm just, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, as you well know, I'm like referring people to all you guys. And so I get a sense of what's going on. The bud- people that their sats are starting to drop, which is like, that's like a five alarm fire, all hands on deck. That's when you gotta jump on it. Don't let the cytokine storm really roll on further. I have found found the nebulized budesonide gets their sats up. And you're telling me Correct. they can't use that in the hospital. They're not using it in the hospital. No, they're not. Even asthmatics are not even getting nebulized treatments in the hospital because they're afraid of aerosolized uh, particles, which I, I it, it's... But they're it's vaccinated. All the staff is vaccinated. They kicked out the unvaccinated. They they have that great protection. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. So that's what you're doing. So your point is, it's not a matter of any, you used hydroxy, used ivermectin, but it's not a matter of any one drug. Am I correct in stating that? um, That is correct. We've always said that. We've always said that. This is a multi-drug illness. You have to use everything in your toolbox. You have to evaluate people. You have to reevaluate people. You have to continue treatment sometimes. Some people get great and do better in two to three days, and some people linger on, um, you know? And so it's that art of medicine that that doctors need to go back to basics. You know, I, I, I sent the, the article that came out on, I believe it was Kim Subsack, you know, or she said, you know, getting back to basics. I mean, that's really what we need to do. Get back to basics. Treat illness for what it is. It's an illness. You know, what do you see? What's going on? And, and use appropriate medications to treat it. 
Um, you know, the hardest part we're having in this is having a fight with pharmacists over using anti-inflammatories for inflammatory conditions, <laughs> using antibiotics for, for, for pneumonia. I mean, having to justify everything we do to a pharmacist makes it, – it's, it's, it's becoming extremely frustrating um, you know, their, their, their go-to is, well, I'm not comfortable dispensing the medication. Well, and when they say they're not comfortable, a pharmacist. Could, could you, yeah. could you give a list of some things that they're denying? They're denying hydroxychloroquine. They're denying ivermectin. They're denying budesonide. They're denying Zithromax, um, you know, because of, well, what's the ICD code? Who cares what the ICD code is? I'm the doctor. It's an FDA approved medication. Let us use it. I mean, Wait, I've they're denying azithromycin? Yeah. I, <laughs> I've had to send off legal letters to the pharmacies telling them, if you guys continue to block this, you're looking at a lawsuit in wrongful death if something happens. You know, right. so it's it's crazy that that we have to have these conversations with pharmacists. You know, pharmacists have now been in, emboldened to practice medicine without a license. And I think that's extremely dangerous. How important is it that you see them in person, put a stethoscope on their chest, take a chest x-ray, as opposed to, let's say, telehealth? And, and by the way, I just want to say, for telehealth, a lot of people have no choice, right? Their, their doctor in person is an idiot and doesn't believe in treating it, so they have to go to telehealth, and thank God for that, and it's certainly been helpful, but as an ideal, how much better is what you do doing, doing in person, well, I mean, so a couple of things. Number one, you get to see the overall health of the person. You know, um, how how do they walk into your clinic? You know, what does their pulse ox do when they walk down the hall? Um, being able to do a chest X-ray because if you're there, if they're there, you can do the chest X-ray. If they're over telehealth, you don't get that information. Um, if I need to give them an IM injection of dexamethasone, or if I need to give them some IV fluid for dehydration, I can do that. Um, and that's the difference is, you know, it's not just COVID-19, but what else is going on? Um, we're seeing a lot of GI upsets and diarrhea and vomiting and nausea. Um, dehydration is, is a huge, huge yeah. component of mortality when it comes to COVID-19. You know, they're getting dehydrated. Uh, they're not eating. They get put in the hospital. They get put on remdesivir. Next thing you know, they're in renal failure. Well, it's a combination of dehydration with medication that we know is a common cause of renal failure, um, ex especially acute renal failure. And then you add the hypoxemia on top of it, and they never get off the ventilators, and that's what's causing the, 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 the mortality in the hospitals, wow. uh, in my opinion. Um, you know, but you know, the, the failure to hydrate patients or to, to understand that patients are dehydrated, how do you see that across from a, a telemedicine screen? Um, I think that that's being missed a lot. So, you know, that, that, that ability to um, address things in person, being able to do things in person, being able to get more information in person um, is extremely helpful. Um, we've kept patients in, in the urgent care. We give them monoclonal antibodies. We put them on oxygen. We get them oxygen ordered at home. We get everything set up. So then by the time they leave the clinic, their oxygen is being delivered to them at home and we keep them out of the hospital. So there's a lot of benefit to seeing patients in person. I'm just trying to think as you're talking, if every urgent care, if every PCP would have been doing this for their patient load, I, I, 
I shudder to think. I mean, you are the ultimate control group. There's nowhere to run or hide from the study you did. And again, this is in in your book. It's a must-get book um, because it, this is the ultimate control group that they cannot wash away. I want people to know that Dr. Brian Tyson, again, there is nobody in America who who has you know claimed to have treated more COVID patients. You would think people would want to hear his voice. He has been banned from Twitter. Think about that. Think about that for a minute. Um, truly unbelievable. I want to go through a scenario with you that's eating away at me as we speak. A friend of mine, dear friend of mine, uh, husband had a kidney transplant a while back, but that kidney was already failing, um, and he eventually was going to need another one. He's going to need that dialysis, and you know, I, I swore I would help her out and jump on it from day one when the family got COVID. The problem is the guy when the the daughter had the test, the positive test. The guy was getting some sort of respiratory thing, but it's confusing because he's always he's always sick. He always, especially in the winter, and he wasn't going into a big cytokine storm. And he had two negative PCR tests. So, you know, I, I didn't think anything of it. Could you walk me through, and, and by the way, went to his nephrologist, the nephrologist didn't give a darn, but walk me through the importance of the fact that the testing is unreliable, but nonetheless, if you would have seen the guy in person, the way you would tell that the guy indeed, because because in, the short story is three weeks later, he had a, a COVID pneumonia came up on the chest X-ray, and now he's kind of in trouble um, as a rolling cytokine storm. So what what difference does that make just as a diagnostic? Well, I mean, we know we know the PCR test is should not be used um, for diagnosis of COVID nineteen. Um, you know, we're seeing um, a variety of, of results. Uh, with these tests. I'll give you an example. I had a family of four come in uh, just last week. The The five-year-old uh, tested positive for RSV. The mom tested positive for SARS coronavirus. And the brother tested positive for parainfluenza virus. Huh. And the dad tested negative. <laughs> and they're all sick. So... You know how reliable are these tests? Um, I, I can't tell you that they're they're very reliable right now. I do know that you know again, if patients are sick, we need to treat their sickness. Um, if they're having trouble uh, breathing or they're having respiratory problems, you know, getting a simple chest X-ray is cheap. It's easy. Um, they're digital, so the radiation is 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 very minimal uh, in today's uh, practice. So it's it's something that. You know, if, if, it, if it looks like a duck, it's walking like a duck, then, well, let's treat it. Um, if not, then, you know, we can always wait a couple of days, and I tell them, if you get any worse, then come back, and we can recheck you. Um, we've got, you know, some of these antigen tests are testing negative in one, one center. Uh, they come to us, and they're testing positive, uh, and vice versa. You know, I mean, we're seeing negative tests, and our patients will end up somewhere else at a testing center, and they test positive over there. Um, there's been even some talk about Omicron taking five days to test positive. So um, the, the testing is becoming very inconsistent. Um, I think there's too many tests. I don't know what the quality controls on these tests are being done because they're all under emergency use authorization. Um, and I think that that's one of the biggest things or one of the biggest problems with emergency use authorization across the world and, 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 and definitely in, in our nation 
which is the quality control studies. Where, where, where are those studies at? You know, um, you give somebody carte blanche to just kind of just do and, and, and produce as many tests as possible uh, without the quality control behind it, you're going to get bad batches. And I know that that's what Abbott was seeing uh, with their uh, testing problems was they were having huge lots of, of their Binex Now um, tests were all testing false positive, And they found out it was, you know, a couple of lots of, of their testing kits. Well, huh. that's bad quality control, you know. So, you know, again, I go back to doctors need to be doctors. Uh, you need to evaluate your patients. Uh, there's not a one-size-fits-all for everyone. Uh, Delta is still out there, even though Omicron is, is predominant. Delta is still out there. And I was talking with the ER doctor, uh, Dr. Nelson, uh, yesterday, and, and he agrees. Um, you know, 60 to 70% of all hospitalizations right now are still the Delta variant. Um, even though Omicron is 87% predominant in the community, the hospitalizations are still Delta. So, sure. you know, there is, there is still that, that, that need out there to be evaluated and get early treatment. And get early treatment. Um, Don't assume it's Omicron. Um, exactly. And wait and say, oh, well, it's just a common cold. I'll, I'll be fine. And, and I think that that's, that's the hard part is getting patients uh, the early treatment, getting them uh, to, to, to realize they need to be seen before it's too late. Now, I want to go over two confounding factors. I just want to verify that I'm getting your situation correct. Number one, is it true that because you're at the border, you treat a lot of illegal immigrants who naturally seem to, from the countries they come from, they seem to have type 2 diabetes. So the sample size that you have are people that do have underlying conditions. So um, part of the statement is correct. The other part is not. It's not a lot of illegal immigrants. It's a lot of legal um, immigrants. So we have, um, uh, we're a high agriculture community. So a lot of people have visas, work visas. Got it. Um, they live in Mexicali. They come back and forth. Um, but they do it legally for work. Um, and, 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 and a lot of retired uh, Americans live in Mexicali because it's a lot cheaper. So we have a lot of Americans who live over there, come over here for treatment. We have a lot of workers that live over there and come over here for work. Um, so it's a, it's a great exchange when you look at it. But yes, the dynamics of, of where we're at out here, high diabetic rate, um, high Hispanic rate, obesity is, is high. And I think that that's why the overall mortality of the Imperial County was almost twice of the surrounding counties. So, so Imperial County was like 3.6%. And then when we looked at like Riverside County and San Diego County, it was about 1.6 to 1.7%. Um, and the hospitalization you know, rate was high. It was. It was extremely high. Um, I, know, I was, I was floored by that. And, and some of that is, like you said, the cross-border traffic. You have retirees. They get into trouble in Mexico. They want to come over to an American hospital. Um, so I just wanted to verify that. So um, forget about the legal status, but I meant more in terms of the demographic. Um, you right. certainly can't say yeah, that you are. Exactly. Yeah. So you certainly can't say that you are dealing with a healthier demographic than the mean. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, we're the poorest county in the nation when you look at it. So, you know, you know, we all know about poor demographics. 
uh, and how that, that translates to health. Um, so yeah, people, people can't say that, well, you're just treating, you know, only the, the non-sick. Now we, we treated patients up to 104 years old, um, and as low as, uh, two years old or two months old, sorry. Um, so it's, it's, it's a, every wide range of, of population. Uh, we, we're not just a, you know, young practice or an old practice. Uh, we treat everybody. And when you're known for treatment, you're going to see sicker and sicker patients. And that's, that's what we saw as as the the pandemic's gone on, you know? So now we're having a lot of sick patients show up, uh, at our urgent care. And again, we're still going through it. You know, I've I've got one patient right now who's on six liters of oxygen at home, uh, refused admission. And right before our phone call, I'm texting the daughter and we're going through the treatment plan. Um, you know, it's, it's just something that, that, that us doctors have to do. Wow. So that's, that's really important. That's a huge confounding factor. I said this similar thing with Dr. Verone's hospital in Houston, you know, people find out about him. So he now, he now gets transfers of people on ventilators. So that's going to work against his, um, his death rate. So that's the thing. People find out that there's so few that are willing to treat it. Um, isn't it true also that, you know, sometimes I'll get people, um, all the doctors I know I do telehealth with, I'll, I'll, I'll tell people as soon as you feel you have it or you test positive or whatever, jump on it. Just jump on it. But, Absolutely. you know, but in your case, isn't it true that you're in urgent care? So by you know, some people found out about you, they'll come really early. But by definition, there's early, but then there's like moderate. Isn't it true that you're getting a lot of people that they're not going to show up at the urgent care at the first sign of the sore throat, the first sign of the positive test. It's more somewhere in the middle that they're starting to get some pulmonary uh, respiratory distress, pulmonary symptoms. So a lot in your sample size includes what what the academic literature would probably describe as moderate COVID. That's correct. That's correct. And 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 Matthew Crawford. Uh, I think they did a, a very good job of explaining that in the book. When you go through chapter eight of the book and, and explains, you know, how we did the analysis, how we did the study, how we did the stratification. Um, we do have a, 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 a large percentage of moderate cases. Um, and even more so now, like now, um, I mean, we're getting patients traveling from, you know, Nevada, Arizona, Utah, um, other parts of California, Northern California, because they can't get physicians to give them the medications that they're seeking. Um, again, there's still this quote, no treatment is, is, is out there, um, you know, scenario, which you know, I, I tell people, you could take away ivermectin, you could take away hydroxychloroquine and this treatment and, and this disease is still treatable. Maybe not as effective, but still treatable. You can still use aspirin. You can still use dexamethasone. You can still use monoclonal antibodies. You can still use budesonide. You can still use doxycycline or azithromycin. You know, so um, you can still use Pepsid, Singular. I mean, there's there's a ton of drugs you can use that have been yep. proven to to show some effect on this virus, but the absolute refusal to do anything. That's criminal at this point. You can't, you can't be a physician and looking at a disease where you see inflammation, you see blood clots, you see hypoxemia, 
you know, and, and you see dehydration and, and do nothing and do nothing and just say, well, when you get sick enough, go to the hospital. Like to me, that's not medicine. Um, that, that these, these doctors need to wake up to just that fact, start treating your patients for at least what you see, you know, take away the COVID, take away that, just treat them for what you see. Treat them for what you see. I mean, to me, I'm not a doctor, but I always thought that if you're worried about pneumonia, they'll come in with prednisone. They'll come in with a nebulizer. I thought that's standard of care. I, I don't understand when you know people are staring down the barrel of potentially more aggressive pulmonary inflammation than a standard pneumonia, and you'll be like, hey, let's right. wait until it gets impossible to treat. You know, Right, and um, I, tell patients, I, tell, I tell physicians this all the time. If this was an asthmatic patient that came into your office, what would you use? What would you do? Well, I would do the, I'd do a breathing treatment and I would give them some steroids and I would see and make sure that they didn't have asthma or, or pneumonia and maybe give them some antibiotics. I'm like, okay, so what are we doing different? <laughs> it, it, it is, it is utterly, and, and again, there's one thing if the lockdowns and the mask and the shots were working properly and keeping people out of the hospitals but they themselves say you know are admitting that you know obviously it each tranche it didn't work it was never realistic for people to lock down for forever um you're going right. to have to treat it um could you talk a little we're, bit we're, we're going on year three i mean clearly everything we wanted to work is not working you know so at what point do you say okay we need to change strategies you know, I think everybody wanted the vaccines to work. Everyone wanted the vaccines to work. Some of us were a little bit more uh, hesitant than others to say, hey, well, you know, let's let's let the first wave go by and let's see, you know, it's new technology. Let's see what what's 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 going on with it. But it's there's not a there's not a physician or person in this world who wanted the vaccines to fail. Now, I'm having you know, a bunch of people that are vaccinated are coming to me in distress. In fact, all the ones I'm getting, all the hospital cases I have now where people are like, I need I need advice. You know, I have Henson and Molly James and others that I call up. Um, they're all vaccinated, some two, some three. What are you seeing on the ground with the type we're of seeing, illness? Yeah, 80% of our cases right now are double vaxxed or, 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 or boosted 80%. Um, it's, it's, it's an absolute, uh, eye opener for the, the public because they don't really, you know, you tell them, okay, you just tested positive for coronavirus and we need to give you treatment. They look at you with, with, you know, deer in the headlights and they're like, well, what do you mean? I've, I've got the vaccine. Well, I understand that. But at the same time, you also have COVID now. <laughs> So we need to get you on treatment and, you know, and, and we'll get you better. Um, that's, that's the, the big eye opening is people need to realize. And now I think people are that the vaccine is not working. It's not working. People are still getting sick. Half of our patients in the hospital out here are vaccinated. Okay. So what do we need to do? We need to change strategies. We need to go back to, you know, Peter McCullough's, four tiers of a pandemic and let's start using tier two and three. What are we doing for early treatment and what are we doing in the hospital? We have to change behaviors. It's not working. 
you know, so when something's not working, you don't continue to do it over and over again. Um, you know, I mean, we're scientists. We need to figure things out. We need to question things. We need to try new things. And that's the other thing that's never, I mean, I've never seen this before in the history of science or medicine, which is the inability to question or the inability to try off-label medications to see what happens. You know, yep. when, when, I, when I went on KUSI for the very first time, it was the very first news interview that um, I did. I met, we were at 1,700 patients at that point. And I thought, man, I'm going to tell the world, this is what's going on. This is what's working. And people are going to try it. And, and they're going to see the same results. And, and, and we're going to get through this. And, man, I thought, yes, this is it. I'm going to be on the news. I'm going to be able to tell my story. And, man, the backlash was horrendous. Well, now what we know you why. You, you, right? What do you mean you're curing COVID? I can't believe that. That can't be true. That can't <laughs> be right. Since when? Do, do you not want people to get better? Like, I don't understand it. Treating sick people and having success is a bad thing. It, you know, it, it, God, it's astounding. They care about COVID where it doesn't exist. And then when someone has COVID, suddenly it's not a big deal anymore. And then uh, don't get it treated. You'll, you're, you're, you know, an outcast if you do get it treated. Are you seeing... Um, some of the doctors I'm talking to are concerned that we might be reaching some sort of phase of either antibody-dependent disease enhancement or original antigenic sin where they're immunosuppressed from um, you know, responding to a respiratory uh, virus with more generalized uh, mismatched antibodies. Are you seeing qualitatively a difference in some of the symptoms between vaxxed or unvaxxed, or just you just kind of have a flat rate, 80% are vaxxed, and that's it? Um, you know, it's a good question. And, you know, the only thing I've been able to differentiate is, is I do know that if you've got pulmonary symptoms and loss of taste and smell, that does seem to be delta. Yep. The, the, the congestion, uh, the runny nose, and kind of the headache, uh, it seems to be more Omicron. Um, you know, I do see secondary infections post COVID infection as well as post vaccination um, in adults that we normally typically don't see, like RSV being one of them. RSV being typically more a, a childhood disease, uh, parainfluenza typically more a childhood disease, uh, we're starting to see in adults. Um, you know, so that's, that's a little problematic and, and goes to the immunosuppression. Um, we're also seeing, um, a lot of shingles. I haven't seen as many cases of shingles in my life as I've seen over the past, you know, two years. Um, so that tells me that there's an immunosuppression going on as well. Um, because the only time you get shingles is through stress and immunosuppression. Uh, so, so the immunosuppressive theory does seem to be holding some water. Uh, the difference in symptomatology, not, not necessarily true. Um, but then there's the unexplained, which is those who are vaccinated with symptoms who test negative on my respiratory panel, you know, can you say that, that that's ADE? Uh, I, I, I can't say that it's not. Wow. Um, what about kids that are vaccinated? What, what sort of things are they coming in with? 
more severity of illness. They are. They, those are the ones, actually, that are coming in a little bit more severe of illness. Um, we hadn't seen the severity of illness in kids until the vaccine rollout. Um, me and my wife had talked about this uh, recently. You know, before kids would get sick and it'd be, you know, a 12-hour to 24-hour, even with alpha and the delta variant, uh, very, very, very mild symptoms. Um, now, since the vaccination rollout in the five years and older now, we're seeing more severe symptoms. We're seeing fevers of 103. We're seeing congestion. We're seeing cough. Um, they're still doing fairly well with it, but it, it, it makes you question, um, you know, how effective uh, the vaccine rollout was in, the, in that age group. Interesting, interesting. And you're saying this is both COVID and then possibly just other w- winter pathogens? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of co-infections, a lot of co-infections. Um, we, do, we do a respiratory panel, um, which does both viral and some bacteria. And, and the amount of co-infections we're seeing is probably about one-third across the board. Um, are having, you know, it's not just COVID, it's COVID with uh, either strep or COVID with more axilla, both bacteria, or COVID with RSV or COVID with rhinovirus or COVID with perinfluenza virus. Uh, we're, still st- we're seeing a couple of cases of influenza now uh, being uh, co-infected with, with coronavirus. Or is it just the testing? Is the testing testing positive for both? I can't differentiate that at this point, but we're, we're, we're trying to uh, make those correlations. Uh, every day we look at our labs, we look at our lab tests, um, we, we, we go back and look at the charts. So we're trying to get a handle on kind of what's going on in that world. Um, but, you know, it goes back to, again, you've got to treat everything you see. Uh, you've got to get the data. You've got to look at the data. You've got to address the data that you get. And you have to make adjustments. Well, one of the things I'm hearing from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there's a great degree of importance to prescribing antibiotics, even though it's a virus. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. With this, I, I think it's, it's, it's hugely important um, because, you know, Spanish flu taught us the lesson, right? 80% died from bacterial, secondary bacterial pneumonia. Um, so, you know, knowing your history, okay, well, what are you seeing on chest x-ray? We're seeing COVID pneumonia. Well, potentially could COVID pneumonia also have bacteria in it? Absolutely. We're seeing a lot of cultures growing out strep pneumonia, you know, wearing masks, right? So we've, we've talked about the mask thing. Well, what do masks trap? Bacteria, right? Moist, wet environment, put some fibers on it, start breathing in and out. Next thing you know, you've got a Petri dish. Okay. So, we, we sent nine masks to the lab, and what did we grow out? We grew out strep pneumonias, staph aureus, moraxilla, and even black mold. So, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's problematic all the way around. Um, you know, and I think uh, antibiotics, doxycycline, Zithromax are hugely important. Look at the Henry Ford study, 46% reduction when they used Zithromax with hydroxychloroquine and zinc. That was the hospitalization. I mean, you know, it's it's there. The data's there. Um, it's not perfect. And yeah, you may have one patient here, one patient there that doesn't respond, and you've got to do extra things. 
But when you look at the overall majority, you know, the effectiveness is a lot better than doing nothing. Doing nothing. How, how important you know? is it to follow up? In other words, like what I've found is especially with, with Delta post-vaccine rollout, let's just call it that era of the virus, this thing became much more complex, much more vicious, much more thrombotic, um, much more likely to get to pulmonary and then quicker too. So I found that generally you throw a protocol at people and again, this is not ideal, but it's better than not getting treatment where you, you just kind of work together, network, get people drugs, and you kind of throw a protocol at them. It works for most, but with Delta, there were some that eh, they did it and still eh, the day seven, eight came around, they got to pulmonary. How important is it what you actually do is where you follow up? Well, it is because, because again, you don't know which patients are going to respond and which ones aren't. So, you know, our standard is if after two to three days on the medication, you're not feeling better, I need you to come back. If you're feeling worse, you definitely need to come back. Um, and again, what else, what else, what other drugs do we have in our toolbox to use? So not everybody needs, you know, 10 different medications, maybe just three is fine. But there is that group, and you know, again, I got a couple of patients that we're struggling with right now, um, and and that that just goes back to your point. You have to reevaluate and make sure patients are doing better. Um, Delta did uh, go from zero to sixty a lot faster than the Alpha variant did, um, and you know that was that was one of the big things that we 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 had to catch right away is is the pulmonary. So, you know, we saw. Anybody who has shortness of breath or cough, even if their lungs were clear and chest x-ray was clear, they got pulmonary medications mm. uh, to help to help prevent that. Uh, but yeah, the reevaluation is has always and should be um, part of everyone's medication. You know, I learned that in the ER. Um, I learned that in the hospital. Right? You give a treatment, you go back and you reevaluate them. How did they respond to the treatment? If they responded, great. If not, you got to change something. So is you know, it accurate that's, that's, that's to, what we do. to kind of sum up what you're saying is that in my mind, there's three levels. There's a monodrug therapy. So this one's 30%. This one's 40%. The better ones are 50, 60%. Then there's the second level is multi-drug therapy as just a protocol, meaning an ad hoc, you get COVID, kind of self-medicate just because we're in a terrible time with a pandemic and an embargo against doctors treating it, where it will get you closer to 80, 90%. But then there's what you're describing, which is what gets you close to 100%. And, and especially if, if people have the education to come to you uh, as soon as they can, which is what you're saying is, because I found this too, where you know I know a hundred times more than these standard doctors do. But the difference between me and someone like you is, I could get people to say, okay, here are the things on the list. Here's kind of what I know. It will work for, for most people. But the really tough cases, that's where it matters. That's when I would call up these guys and he, he gets them better. Whether it's the metformin, phenofibrate, ciproheptadine, when they get into that distress, but they have to know who the guy is, what the symptoms are, where they, you know, is it more bacterial pneumonia causing this secondary infection? Is it more the cytokine storm? Is, is, is that really where you fine-tune it to get close to 100%? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you're, you're 100% correct on that. 
it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. Well, now, um, no. are, are you in the governor's office getting uh, a California state, you know, award? How how is the state of California recognizing or regarding what they're seeing coming out of the uh, um, All Valley Urgent Care? Well, I got I got my first California board letter. Um, you know, so you know the the misinformation uh, train has 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 hit me um, with. They, uh, somebody didn't like uh, an interview I did on OAN and um, basically, you know, said I said some things that I didn't say. But um, no, I, I it's it's quite the opposite. It's you know the the problem I I, I see and hear is early treatment does not equal anti-vax, and and I need people to understand that. You know, early treatment is just one part yep. of treating in a pandemic. They're treating us like you're either you're either for the vaccine or you're for early treatment, and and it's pitting one against the other instead of using everything all together. You know, I said this at the the board of supervisors meeting, and 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 I and you know a lot of people I think kind of their eyes open, and it's. <clears throat> We want everything to work. We want everything to yes. work. When things start to break down, then you have to build up the other parts that, that are working, you know, and, and, and we have to stop this antagonistic, you know, well, you believe in hydroxychloroquine, so you must be, you know, a Republican or you must be a comfort. <laughs> um, far from it, honestly, far from it, you know, like, we're doctors. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not, the, the, these drugs aren't political. Yeah. You know, Donald <laughs> Trump did not invent hydroxychloroquine. Okay. He, he didn't invent the drug. The drug's been around for 400 years. You know, it's not something that came out of, you know, uh, his corporation or anything like that. So we need to get away from the Democrat Republican issue. We need to get away, away from, well, if you're for early treatment, then you must be anti-vaccine. Yep. You know, it, it's it's not. This whole, um, you know, what, what, what the states are saying, you know, like what the governor's office is saying is, well, you're promoting vaccine hesitancy <laughs> if you show early treatment, you know, it, it, if you tell people that early treatment works. They're less likely to get a vaccine. But what do you do with all those patients? 80% you say are vaccinated. You're supposed to tell them to to get lost. Well, you're imagining your pulmonary symptoms because you have the vaccine. Right, exactly. I mean, exactly. And that's what I say. It's mentally ill. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. What do you want me to tell the vaccinated? Uh, I'm sorry. Go get another vaccine. I mean, like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I mean, clearly it's, it's, they're getting sick and they've, they've gotten, they've done their, their duty. They got their vaccines, they got their booster and they're still getting sick. What do you want me to tell them? You, you know, what's you know, interesting. In my parking lot, the doctors you know, that are into the governor's parking lot. Right. Yeah. The doctors that are into treatment like you, you don't do this cult like devotion to the therapeutics, the way they are to the vaccine. Meaning like, let's say, you know, obviously it doesn't stop transmission, I and mean, that's clear. 
Um, but let's say pre-Omicron, let, let's just make up numbers here, you know, 60-70% efficacy against critical illness, let's just say. Now, it was a sliding scale over time, the studies showed, right, it waned, and it depended on the person. If the more immunocompromised you are, the more, you know, I, I have an article out today, there were all, almost all the studies show organ transplant patients really never got stimulated T-cells from the um, shots. A lot of the very vulnerable people was known, I mean, and they admitted this, uh, you know, from, from, but, but that that's great. That, that, that's still very significant. That's great. Now, let's just make pretend that there's no, you know, other side to the ledger and there's no, you know, risk of adverse events or death. But, you know, let's say it's, you know, doesn't cause any problems. Let's just put that on a shelf for a minute. You know, I'm all for a 50%, a 60% solution. But the problem is you don't know if you're one of those guys. It's too spotty. And then you'll get people that it didn't stimulate or it waned or whatever. And, what I'm finding with doctors like you is you don't do the same thing with the therapeutics. So, for example, I think people need to hear this. Pierre Corey made his entire reputation off of ivermectin. He is known as the ivermectin dude. But nonetheless, he wasn't an idiot fanboy that just was stuck on stupid, and it's only that he, he recognized, especially with Delta, it was very complex, and some people would still get pulmonary. So you'd come in with the prednisone. You'd come in with some of the other things. Um, I had a conversation. I'm going to have him on on Friday on the show with uh, Dr. Flavio from Brazil. He is the... Um, androgen blocker guy okay he's the the guy who he's an endocrinologist so he was very into using androgen blockers but he just told me and i could say this publicly he believes omicron really doesn't utilize the ace2 binding as much so as much as he put his life's work into the androgen blockers we're going, he's like you know what it's more hydroxychloroquine he's into nitazoxanide the way this en enters the cell it kind of goes back and forth isn't it that you guys are constantly evaluating which things seem to be working for what's out there? Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's true medicine. That's true medicine. We do this in the hospital all the time. We'll put a patient on, you know, this treatment, this antibiotic and this antibiotic, and then we wait for results and we see, okay, are they responding? Are they not responding? You know, and if they don't respond, then we change treatments. That's what we do. You know, it's not, it's not a one, one all and, and that's it, you know, and, and I think that that's the difference between physicians and legislatures, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the government is telling everybody, you have to do this one thing. And if everybody does this one thing, it's all going to be great. Okay. But what happens when that one thing fails and clearly exactly. it's failing. So admit you're wrong and say, you know what, we were wrong. What else can we do? Not, well, it's because not everybody did it. That's why it's failing. No, it's failing because it's failing, period. You know, if everything had worked out the way they said it was, we'd be done with COVID, everything would be over, and we'd be, we'd be back to our lives, okay? So clearly that's not what happened. So now, now where are we at? Now what do we do? Well, again, people need to listen to what we're doing and what we're saying. These things seem to work. So let's start using these things. Repeat it for yourself and watch what happens. When your patients come back to you in, in, in three days or five days and they go, wow, I took your medication and two days later, I felt like a new person. That tells you something. You know, yeah. my dad got it and he's, he's, uh, he's had two heart attacks. He's not the, the, the physically fit guy he was. He's 72 years old. Okay. 
He came down. We gave him monoclonal antibodies. We put him on the cocktail. And three days later, he's out playing golf. Wow. And I can't tell you how many emails I got from people thanking me. You know, they just, uh, they got through our seven cells pharmacy. They got ivermectin. And and again, it broke the fever the next morning. All these stories. But nonetheless, as effective as it is, 20 mechanisms of action identified in the Nature Journal of Antibiotics. It's great. It was even better with the original strain. But I'm not going to sit and tell a person, man, all, you know, 50,000 people in this audience, every one of you, you just take ivermectin and every one of you is going to survive. I can't look you in the eye and say that because that's not an accurate statement, even even the better and the best monotherapies, right? And that's why our point was, look, you got to make sure you foreclose as many avenues as we can. So that that's the thing. We're not doing the equivalent on any one drug, what they're doing with the vaccines. We're trying to make it a sure thing. And that's why I love, again, the book, Overcoming the COVID-19 Darkness, Dr. Brian Tyson, Dr. George Fareed. Um, it's not a matter of this This drug had 30%. This drug, it's Brian Tyson George Fareed. And what does that mean? It doesn't even mean a monotherapy. Um, it does, but it's more than that. As we're saying, it is the right doctors treating the right patients with the right symptoms at the right time. The art of medicine, Dr. Tyson, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, no, I just, I, I think people need to take a step back Look, look from the 30,000 foot view and really see what's going on. What was, what was told, what was said, what's going on, be realistic and be truthful. You know, I think when we can start talking about the truth again, we can get back to a normal civilized society. Let doctors be doctors. Let us use medications that are FDA approved off label. Like we we've had for hundreds of years and thousands of years. Okay. And, and let us go back to being doctors, you know, use the things that uh, are available, treat what you see, treat what you see, all the physicians out there, treat what you see. If it was an asthma patient, what would you do? If it was a pneumonia patient, what would you do? Take the whole COVID-19 diagnosis, throw it away and start looking at your patients, you know, prevent blood clots prevent inflammation, prevent pneumonia, and you're going to have a higher success than doing nothing at all. And certainly a lot higher if you do it right as we see. Dr. Tyson, thanks so much for what you do. Thanks for joining us. Please keep up us updated. And folks, um, I, I left so much on the table today, but I think this was worth it. So we're out of time. Uh, send me your comments, questions, and concerns. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.